Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and thank you for following us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Beardmore. This podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon. Now, if you want some other podcasts, you can also go and look up the Thistle Rugby podcast, all about Scottish rugby. And you can imagine they're pretty smug at the moment, having just battered Australia. Also, talking of smug people, there is me, Tim and Phil every Monday doing egg chasers. And we're smug because last time we did egg chasers, it was post-world rugby awards. So go and catch us there. Anyway, in the meantime, I have got a very interesting guest. I came across his work on Twitter, very, very insightful writer. I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer here is the interview well there's not many things in the world which are stranger than south african rugby but to help us guide us all the way through it i have got craig craig lewis of sa rugby magazine have i got that right sa rugby magazine or south africa rugby magazine how would you say it craig yeah sa rugby magazine that's that's perfect uh, now you're based down in cape town yeah i'm in cape town that's correct a beautiful beautiful city how is the, how is the weather there today yeah, it's hot and warm, um, but yeah, JB, we've actually been struggling uh, with regards to a drought that's been going on and on, so we're actually praying for a bit of rain, even though the weather's quite beautiful at this time of year. Yeah, lovely lovely city. I was there myself in February. Um, now, of course, that is uh, Stormer's country, is it not? Stormer's country, yeah, indeed. Um, I've actually only moved to Cape Town about two and a half years ago, so I'm actually originally from Durban, so... A bit of a um, yeah, sharks boy through and through, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> more recently, yeah, uh, more recently changed to a Cape Townian and a, and a Stormers uh, reporter, if you could say. <laughs> Excellent. So, just tell me a bit about yourself and uh, your your journey into the world of rugby writing. Yeah, JB. I mean, I was always passionate about the sport, and uh, yeah, just very passionate about uh, writing as well, even from. Uh, high school days and then you know got to a point of kind of wanting to work out what I wanted to do next with uh, you know my my life after school and yeah naturally putting the two together kind of made me gravitate towards a sports journalism or rugby writing career and luckily it worked out Um, probably got my first opening with independent newspapers in Durban and then worked there for about seven years as their uh, you know locally based uh, beat writer um yeah, predominantly covering the Sharks and obviously the Springboks as they came and went. And then, yeah, opportunity came came up to join SA Rugby Mag and been doing that now for two and a half years, a senior writer there. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's taken me into a bit more of a, 
uh, online portal because we have the website uh, srugbymag.coza and then obviously the magazine. So so kind of a, a mix between both print and uh, I guess the more immediate form of online uh, online work, which is probably the way things are going. Excellent. Well, let me lead off with a rather broad question. I think we're all relatively familiar with the Springboks in this part of the world, but not so much sure. with South African rugby as in the domestic form. How is the health of the game at the moment? Yeah, I mean, that is, a, I think, quite a tricky question. But, uh, you know, the short answer is I think the, the health of the game is actually in a, you know, a real low point, probably one of the lowest points, uh, points it has been in the professional era. Uh, you know, as you know, I've written quite extensively about the fact that, you know, the problems, while they've manifested themselves in, in a sense with performances of the Springboks where you see them, you know, suffering a record loss to Ireland, uh, a 57-0 uh, blowout against the All Blacks in Albany. You know, those are, are really just the, the horror examples that make everyone realize that something's not quite right. But the issues, I think, are far more deep-rooted. You know, there's... There's forms of, uh, you know, I think problems with the, the way players are coming through, both the school and club system. Uh, I think we're losing players that are at a far too, uh, you know, uh, you know, far too great rate for us to actually control the the amount of players that we're losing. Young talent, like young talented players. There are political issues. There are transformation issues in terms of what's, you know, what agendas we've got to. You know, the or well, that the SA Rugby Union has agreed to meet uh, in order to ensure that the team is uh, transformed by 2019. So there's many factors that play in South African rugby and it makes it a very unique product. And there's lots of balancing acts that I think everyone has to do. And uh, unfortunately, you know, you see the Springboks when when they lose, uh, suddenly everyone picks up, uh, you know, and and really you know screams in horror. But I think when you look a little bit closer, there are there are bigger issues that are actually leading. Uh, to those, you know, to those horror results, and I think we need to work towards, you know, not treating the symptom but treating the cause. Now, when you talk about transformation issues, what does that mean? Well, JB, the, you know, a year or two ago, the the SA Rugby Union, uh, they met with the sports ministry. They agreed to a, a target or a transformation target that by 2019 they want they want all teams, both in terms of the player representation and in terms of coaching. Uh, to reach a target that is 50, you know, 50% representative. Um, so that's going to have a mix between, obviously it'll be 50%, or they want it to be 50% players of, uh, of color, 50% white players. That's what they want us to be seeing on a, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the, the pipe dream. Uh, and they've agreed to those terms with the, with the, the sports ministry. And it's caused uh, you know, a lot of problems, and it certainly made the, the, the job sometimes quite challenging uh, and we saw last year the sports ministry uh, actually said the you know that not enough was being done to reach those targets that had been agreed to and they uh, revoked uh, SA Rugby's right to bid for the World Cup so they had to quickly do some behind the scenes negotiations to eventually uh, present their bid to host the uh, to host the World Cup <laughs> which wow. they eventually were able to do and unfortunately as we saw it didn't go our way yeah. um, so yeah, that's definitely a, a touchy subject, and uh, it, it does provide for you know unique challenges in, in our rugby. So, to that extent, then, how do South Africa go about sourcing more players of colour? I mean, is there an active effort to engage, I don't know, uh, schools which are predominantly black or so, some such thing? Yeah, JB, I think in in that exact regard, you know, originally the idea of forming the Kings franchise in the Eastern Cape. 
that was uh, you know that was the brainchild to start feeding more players of color uh, through our professional system and ultimately to the Springboks. Uh, that's you know that was based on the fact that they you know the the Kings are Port Elizabeth based team mm-hmm. down in the Eastern Cape, but that is you know for uh, you know in, in our history of rugby has been regarded as the hotbed of black talent. They've got uh, schools there uh, where young black players are constantly coming through, and the idea was to form a franchise, a Super Rugby franchise that would be sustainable and successful, and would provide a product for these young black players. To, to have the motivation to play for a, a local franchise, um, and that would be what they would strive to play for when they were at school, instead of having to be picked up by the bigger unions that are more well-known, you know, i.e. the Sharks and the Stormers. They wanted to have a homegrown team that could tap into this hotbed of, of black, um, you know, black players. And unfortunately, that King's uh, debacle has been something all on its own, and as we've seen now, you know, they've fought against financial difficulties, uh, and eventually they have now been pulled out of Super Rugby. So that great idea, perhaps in theory, uh, has ultimately imploded. And uh, it's, you know, the Kings as a franchise on on a deep trouble. So that's backfired. And that was, you know, in an ideal word, world going to be what uh, gave us another source of, of really good black players. Yeah, the Kings franchise is very interesting, actually. I'd like you to dig into that a bit more for me late mm. uh, and later as it happens. Um just taking it off on a bit of a tangent then, and actually, yeah, we will we'll stick on the Kings. What is your cool. view on the combination of Southern Kings and Cheetahs joining the Pro 12? And moreover, what is the kind of general rugby watching population's view of it? Yeah, it was quite interesting. You know, I think my main issue with the, their introduction is into the Pro 14 is SA Rugby came out, they said, listen, we cannot sustain six franchises competitively in in South Africa uh, to have six Super Rugby franchises. It's too much. Uh, there's too many players that we then have to we have to pay uh, and sustain, and we are spreading our talent uh, too far and wide. So let's uh, you know let's take two teams out, try and restrict our talent, and to condense it into competitive teams uh, uh, that will be the four teams that would have remained okay so that's fine but then if that's your your plan and your game plan then what is the point of sending the kings and cheetahs into a new competition where you are still having to fund them to go and uh, you know feature in another competition and you've still got just as many players on your books so there's just a contradictory sort of idea behind it i you know i don't think you know i think they've added something to the pro 14 especially the cheetahs have done really well mm. um, and i think the kings as a brand once they you know dion davis is their coach and he's a fantastic coach and he he seems to bring out the best in, in his players, but every year he almost has to start afresh where, you know, you see players after Super Rugby, and the Kings did perform quite well this year, suddenly you had players going, you know, overseas to other teams because of the uncertainty that remained around the franchise. And they've now underperformed uh, throughout the competition, um, you know, in, in the new look Pro 14. So that doesn't do us any favours. Um, yeah, yeah, so just in that, in that regard, I'm not quite sure what the game plan was from SA Rugby in terms of saying we need to keep it to four franchises, but now we're going to keep going with the, the two others, but into a Northern Hemisphere competition. I don't think the crowds have been great in, in our local stadiums for those Pro 14 games. I don't think it's drawn particularly that much interest in a super congested rugby uh, schedule that we've really got as South African viewers. So I'm not quite sure it's uh, really done, you know, done the trick. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, do you know when you're kind of penning your articles and what we in now and like nine games into the 
uh, Pro 14 season. Are any South Africans yeah. turning around and taking note that, hang on, you know, the Cheetahs are actually pretty good here. I think there's like fourth in the table. They're tremendously good at home and they play nice rugby. Or is it just kind of uh, as an afterthought? We're not, uh, we're not that bothered. We'll wait until January and the Super Rugby kicking off. You know, JB, to be honest, I, I don't, I, you know, just as a, uh, a reporter who, uh, you know, mingles with, uh, you know, other rugby fans, friends who, who enjoy the game, mm. you know, if I, if I had to just go up to them and, you know, I think if I had to go, listen, did you see how the Cheetahs did, uh, you know, in that, that recent game against Munster or whoever it, whoever it may be, you know, I don't think many of them would actually have much of a clue. And, and that's the sad reality is that I don't think, you know, as a you know South African audience, we've quite uh, latched onto this idea quite yet. I don't know if uh, you know the Pro 12 was really ever on our radar as an audience beforehand, and now now we've had probably two of the you know the weaker, um, if I could put that in inverted brackets, two of the weaker teams heading into that competition. Uh, so you're not going to draw a huge interest with you know in that regard. It's not like you've had a you know a it's not like the Bulls have gone into that competition or the Stormers who have a massive support base or the yeah. Sharks, you know. Then maybe you would have people taking an interest. But, you know, the Kings are you know, a, a struggling franchise and, and their supporters uh, supporters probably haven't quite uh, taken to the idea yet. And then the Cheetahs, you know, are, are everyone's favorite second team. But whether there's that much uh, real uh, national interest in, in how they do, I don't think it's, it's really there. Yeah, does the draw of... Leinster and Glasgow and Scarlets, these sort of teams, or actually Ulster with all their South Africans, does that not get the South African fan base excited? Or, in a way, has it actually damaged the brand of the Pro 12? Because you kind of realise, well, they're playing against the Kings and the Cheetahs weren't that good in Super Rugby. Maybe these Northern Hemisphere teams aren't as good as we thought they were. Yeah, I just think from a, uh, you know, an almost objective perspective, it's, you know, I think it's an enjoyable product to see a little bit of a change up to see some of our South African players based abroad. We might not have, uh, you know, been able to watch all that much. Now suddenly we're having the Pro 14 broadcast on our TVs. Uh, it does bring a different element. But I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's really sustainable. It's a lot of rugby that we have on our calendars. The Cheetahs had to divide their squad because they were still competing in the Curry Cup. They were defending champions yeah. in the Curry Cup. So we had the two competitions overlapping. The Cheetahs chose to prioritize the Pro 14, I think, as per the agreement in terms of entering the competition. So they started off the Curry Cup really well uh, and then had to shift away from that and uh, um, took their first team squad into the Pro 14. Suddenly you had the Curry Cup domestic team uh, suddenly seriously struggling and uh, they fell away and weren't factors in the Curry Cup. So in that regard, it damaged our domestic competition and that in itself was a disappointing element of, of it. You know, now they're talking about maybe next year things will be different. They'll restructure the curry cup to start earlier or whatever the case may be. But it seems in a lot of regards maybe it was a, quite a rushed thing in terms of entering them straight away uh, this, you know, this year straight into the Pro 14 without working out all those dynamics beforehand. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a very ill-conceived idea. But weirdly, I think it's been executed really well. Yeah, maybe the, maybe that's the the best way you've you know best way to put it in terms of you know I think there are there are positive elements to it, but I'm I'm not quite sure what the thinking was in terms of going, you know we've just taken this decision immediately now to remove the kings and the cheaters and we're going to rush them straight into a new competition even though it may, uh, you know may turn, uh, you know a certain element of the Curry Cup which is you know still should be our proudest product uh, into a bit of a farce. I mean we had games. 
uh, where the cheetahs were fielding uh, you know teams that were virtually unrecognizable and they were getting hammered mm. and you've got a defending champion team now fielding their complete second if not third string team and not really featuring in the competition uh, and that I just think for the brand of the curry cup is is not good either yeah well, sure okay right okay Craig well just on that there was some chat and I don't know how serious it was about the Springboks having like almost a northern hemisphere Springboks and a southern hemisphere Springboks did that ever materialize or was that just kind of uh, you know, ruminating by officials. Yeah, to be honest, I think that was, you know, that was almost like a, a funny comment that uh, was touted by our president, President Mark Alexander, and you know, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. I'm, I'm not quite sure when we've uh, when we've got a Springbok team as is that um, you know is, is underperforming and inconsistently performing a lot of the time. To think that we could actually divide teams and take a group, uh, you know, a, a group to the northern hemisphere that may be better suited to those conditions and retain another for, uh, you know, say, for example, the rugby championship. I think that, uh, yeah, that's a bit unrealistic. Uh, we certainly, at the moment, are, in fact, struggling um, to maintain a, a really elite uh, player group. And we've seen so much of our middle-tier players uh, being drained to overseas clubs that, you know, can offer them better money. Uh, we don't have the player resources to do that. Definitely not. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Actually, it's that it's an article which you wrote, uh, what, a couple of days ago? Well, it feels like a couple of days ago. I only found it a, a couple of days ago about um, yeah, about yeah. the player drain that perked my um, that that perked my interest. Um, you obviously see this as a real real big issue, then. Yeah, definitely. I just think you know, there's there's becoming a a real problem in, in our rugby where we're losing players that are no longer just the the older generation who've uh, who've wanted to wind down their careers now we're seeing uh, we're seeing young players in the mid 20s early 20s all heading abroad because they know that the options are are there for them the money is there the lifestyle is there and these players want to maximize the time that they have to rugby players when they're in there when they're in demand um, and unfortunately with you know certain uh, problems that we have in our game with the the Springbok brand really suffering, uh, and and with the you know a lot of financial difficulties as well, uh, it's it's actually not as I think appealing for them to stay in the country. I think the best example, and uh, you guys might have might have picked up on his performances over there, um, is that of Ruan Ackerman who went over with yeah. the, his father Father Johan, and I think you know he's already said, listen, the the dream is to play for the Springboks, but you know, I'm a youngster. I'm, I think he's 21 years old. Mm. You know, if I qualify and, and uh, on residency grounds, then why why not explore the option of playing for England? For us, I think that just that's really got to hurt. He's an incredible player, and he's one of one of countless talented young players. We've got over 300 professional players playing overseas. That's staggering. And what you know, what really are what proactive plan are we taking to to retain our talent? Uh, I'm not sure if SA Rugby has a plan and are keeping it quiet but you know they came out with the 30 cap eligibility rule for those players based abroad but i feel like that's you know 30 cap eligibility ruling is neither here nor there um you're not saying we you know we're not saying listen uh we're not gonna we're not gonna pick you if you go overseas that would put uh, you know a, a stick in the sand and, and draw a line 
Um, instead, they've kind of gone in between and said, also in a World Cup year, you'll still be available. So what's stopping a player from going overseas? I don't think there's very much. You know, I think that's the, the reality we're in at the moment. And something has to be addressed about why uh, more and more young players are, are, are going abroad. Um, because it's unsustainable yeah because the thing which strikes me is it's exactly these middle tier guys guys that we don't know would definitely be spring box but would probably have a couple of caps i mean i can think of a cracking example sale sharks have got um john o'ross on their books as south african as they get cracking player Mm. don't think he's got a cap but i'm sure he would do if, if he's in south africa yeah definitely and i think you know the list can go on you know i can give you the example I chatted quite a bit to Kubis Reynach before he went to Northampton Saints. Yeah. Um, and there was quite a bit of controversy around his decision to go because he was a, you know, we don't have a, a huge abundance of local uh, scrum halves who are really knocking on that Springbok door. He's one who's been there and done that. He's played around 10 test matches. Uh, and he, at that point of, of negotiating or looking around and perhaps getting really, uh, you know, really lucrative options and, and offers, you know, he wanted some clarity about his future and, and where he stood in the Springbok setup. By all accounts, it's a rugby dragged their heels. They weren't quite sure. Uh, you know, they didn't really provide open and clear-cut communication with him. It dragged on, it dragged on. Eventually, he got to the point where he had to make a, he had to make a professional decision. And he went ahead and agreed to terms with, the, with Northampton. Uh, and then apparently, belatedly, it's a rugby suddenly woke up and they tried to uh, they try to uh, keep him and offer him a dual contract that maybe could have kept him in South Africa. By then, you know, the horse had bolted. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a prime example there, just where our communication and perhaps a, a lack of, of foresight really hampers our cause. And uh, we see players like that going abroad. And I just think we need to start questioning why guys are going you know, overseas and suddenly we see them thriving. You know, Yaku Tata went to Munster. It was only supposed to be a short-term deal. All of a sudden, he's performing against top players uh, in Europe, and you know he doesn't want to go anywhere. Mm. You know what is it? What is it about the the setup at the overseas clubs uh, that is superior to ours here? And I think, I think by all accounts, there's an element of professionalism, the facilities, uh, and then of course, as you know, any professional, you want to earn the the, the best money that you can. Uh, and I just think. There's a bit of a whirlpool here where we're just losing players and players and players, and there's maybe an arrogant sense of we'll we'll find a, a replacement and our conveyor belt will keep turning, but mm-hmm. the fact is it's it's going to grind to a halt at some point, and uh, when we do, there's going to be big problems, and it's slowly getting there because the Springboks, uh, you know, a double world champion team are ranked fifth in the world and struggling to beat a hapless French team suffering a record loss to Ireland. This has all happened in the last few weeks. And I think... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're just seeing that the, the depth and quality of our players is, is not quite what it used to be. Yeah, just just back onto scrum halves. The one that baffles me the most is Faf de Klerk, because I'm lucky enough to live up uh, near Sale Sharks. He's landed here. Sale Sharks are a good club, but they're not a monster. And he is he is one of the most talented players that I've seen. And I can't understand for life of me why South Africa Rugby didn't want to keep him, and also why he wasn't played that much last year in Super Rugby. Maybe, maybe you could maybe you could colour in those blanks. Yeah, you know, I think you know, I think Faf definitely in 2016 was. You know the surprise package for everyone. He'd, you know, he'd come from a, a, a I think it was the Pumas, if I'm not mistaken, a small, uh, you know, one of our small provincial teams, uh, quite unheralded. He went to the Lions and suddenly he started performing, and he was backed by Jan Ackman. And you know, in that Lions team that did so well in Super Rugby, I mean, he was the the number nine catalyst. Uh, he was an exciting player. He was creating things from nowhere. Um, but he was this jack-in-the-box X-factor player. Yes, he is. And he went into the test. He went into the test arena, and I think Alice Kutsia, to an extent, said he didn't. You know, he, he didn't want to, to. Didn't want to put him in a box because he didn't feel that would be good for him as a player. But unfortunately, at test level, there are certain requirements, and you know, I think Faf, you know, his game suffered in in, in that time while he was with the box. Um, beyond the fact that the team wasn't performing, you know, he suddenly had to fulfill roles that he wasn't comfortable with and he hadn't been used to at the Lions. A kicking game, a more conservative approach. So maybe he's not a player suited to test rugby or maybe there's just not the correct coaching to allow a player like that to thrive. And those are the questions that you, you start to question. So maybe he lost some confidence. Yes, he lost a, a bit of form. And by that time, uh, the 2017 Super Rugby came around, even the Lions were, were opting for, for the reliability of Ross Grenier. I mean, that's fine and well. But for a player who's just being your incumbent number nine just a year ago to suddenly now be like, you know, we actually, we actually don't value you at all. He was, you know, Faf wasn't even in training camps. There was a complete and utter uh, ostracization from the, the Springbok squad. And suddenly he was out in the wilderness and, she, you know, by all accounts at a relatively young age, mm. he, he didn't really have a route back. So he looked overseas and, you know, team like Cell Sharks, you know what a what a clever recruit. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I actually think Sale Sharks can't believe their luck about how good he actually is. He's certainly one of the best players that, that I've seen with with my own two, with, with my own with my own two, two eyes. Phenomenal talent. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is this, maybe a preoccupation with these these young, talented, uh, and certainly X Factor players that that are quite diminutive. You know, okay, he, uh, Fuff maybe gets away with it because he's a scrum off where. You know, that's allowed. But he's a tiny guy, and there is a bit of a South African perception about small players and whether they can they can cut it uh, at test level. Uh, yeah, you, know, I, you know, I think Joe Aplon fell into that and, and was brilliant in, in uh, you know, France for a long time. And Cheslin Colby, 
you know, he's gone gone abroad because he also didn't get his chance. And he's, you know, he's been scoring tries left, right, and centre. Um, so I think maybe, you know, maybe we are not bringing out the best in our young, in, in our, yeah, in our in our expected players that don't fit the mould of a traditional. A big South African player. Yeah, and I tell you what I think will be a, a really crushing blow is if um, Johan Janzi von Rendsburg decides to stay over in, in, in the UK because he is a classic South African-style t- player. And what is he, 21 or something like that, 22? Yeah, I, I, think you, I think you're spot on there. And I think more and more you're seeing these players, uh, you know, going over with an idea uh, of maybe doing a two-year stint or less. Mm. And and suddenly finding that you know the cross is actually greener on the other side, and that's you know that's a big problem if you if you having guys go over and actually realise you know just what you know just what they can actually achieve over there, and uh, you know just how much better it is for them. And the, the thing is, you know they can go have two years and still come back. Um, and if they can come back a better player, then they you know they're not giving up on their Springbok dream. Um, so so if that's where they want to be, they can they can always do so. And uh, when the 2019 World Cup comes around, our eligibility ruling is no longer going to apply. So if Fafta Klerk is suddenly consistently performing for the next year or two, you know, there's no reason why he can't be picked. And the same goes for Kubis Reynach and Yakutata and Rowan Ackerman. Uh, so there's there's not much stopping them from, from accepting these deals abroad, and that's just the, the reality of it. But yeah. it's not helping our game here. So I just think something has to be done in terms of, of uh, really just plugging uh, this complete and utter every second month or, or two hearing about another player going abroad. What's your view on the minimum amount of caps that you need? Because I, I actually think that's a, bit, a very daft way of doing it. Wales have just done it now. I think it's six, 60 caps uh, or and then you can play abroad. I, I just can't see it being good for the national team, uh, whether it be Wales, Australia or South Africa, actually. Yeah, yeah I think it's a... I think it's, it's sort of an idea of going. Let's put let's put a, a form of preventative measure, or, or maybe something to get the players to think twice before they accept an overseas offer. Of going, if I go, I'm not going to have the option of playing for the national team, which is undoubtedly a dream for mm. for so many of them. But at the moment, there are just too, too many quality players overseas for us not to actually pick them, and yeah. we need all the help we can get. So of going, you know, if Marcel Kutsia was fit and playing well. You know, he had, I think he's on 26 test caps. To not be used to utilizing that player would be a huge mistake. Yeah. You know, I think Ron Ackerman in a year or two will be a player who needs to be considered at test level, if not now already. Yeah. And so, you know, these are the guys that we can't afford not to be picking. We need we need depth in a lot of positions uh, and where we're short. We've had a backline that has underperformed for the whole of 2017. You know, how many young uh Talented backs are performing in in Europe who haven't had 30 caps. Can we really afford to just go listen? You know that's the the ruling and uh, out of sight, out of mind. I don't think we can do that anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know my my view on this. We've got a player in Wales, um, uh, Reese Webb, off to Toulon, and he's not going to get 60 caps. So theoretically, he's not going to be playing for Wales, even though he's given something like 10 years service to his province. Sorry, region. Yep. Uh, and I kind of think with these cap rules, being a sp- having to be a Springbok to be able to f- be a future Springbok makes no sense. It should be more like you should be available to your province for five years 
and then you can leave. And if you, hey, if the province hasn't developed you into into an international player, maybe Munster will, or maybe Sale Sharks will, or someone like that. It seems to make a lot more sense to me than having to be in the national st- setup to stay in it. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I think as well. I don't know how your dynamic works between you know in terms of uh, your regional, provincial teams and, and the national body. You know, but another thing that really irks me is sometimes we find here in South Africa, uh, you know, SA Rugby and the and the unions butting heads where, where you know, ultimately our players are con- contracted to the, uh, you know, to, to their union. So, uh, you know, a prime example was when uh, Andre Pollard went back to the Bulls during during the Curry Cup, uh, mm. during Curry Cup period. He was desperately in need of game time. But uh, the Bulls coach, uh, John Mitchell at the time, understandably felt that... Uh, you know, he he didn't want to play Pollard at that stage. He was backing uh, other players in the Curry Cup. But for a, a national and Springbok perspective, we desperately needed him p- to play to get up mm. to speed. Um, you know, with you know with his game after a long injury absence. As we've seen in that first game he played um, against Ireland, he was incredibly rusty. So from a national perspective, we desperately needed to have control over whether Pollard played or not. Instead, because he was uh, contracted and and paid by his union, they had the decision whether or not to play him. So they left him out of the team, and he didn't get the game time he needed. So sometimes we find in South Africa, because of that contracting issue, um, you know, we have things that are not being done to the, to the greater benefit of our uh, of our national team, and that should surely be the priority. So that's sometimes a bit of an issue that that crops up again and again. Now let me just turn our attention to the national team because we've spoken about the player drain. Having said that, yep. when I look at the Springboks and the first fifteen that they can pick. It's still a pretty good side. I mean, I don't look at that side and think, oh, they could do with a few more. I look at that side and think it's not been particularly well coached. Where where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think when you look at the Springbok team, and again, you, you may look at that pack and go, that's a quality pack. I think that's where our strength is lied. When we've actually rebounded uh, from disappointing results or, or some struggles, we generally... We generally relied on the pack. You know, it was it was our pack that secured a, a recent, you know, this this last weekend's win over Italy. It was our pack that really performed at Newlands when when we nearly beat the All Blacks. You know, there we've got players like Etzebeth. We've got uh, plenty of number five locks. We've got fantastic props. We've got Malcolm Marks, probably one of the most exciting young yeah. hookers. Uh, we've got a, a number of uh, really quality loose forwards. I mean, we're missing Naku Creel. Warren, Warren White is still not there. But when it comes to our backline, I think that's where we've underperformed. And I think that's where we're suffering from not enough, uh, certainly from not enough, not enough uh, depth. Sorry. So we've, you know, we've got a very inexperienced back three. Uh, we've got problems at scrum off. And our midfield has been, uh, you, know, a bit, uh, you know, a bit nowhere at times. Jesse Creel hasn't quite settled in. Um, and again, we're looking, overlooking players like Rowan Janssen van Rensburg, who's another one who's yeah. uh, you know headed to sell. So, you know, sell. You must you and enjoy watching him play with the the Sharks, I'm sure, over this period. Um, so I think you know I think there is a bit of imbalance to the team in terms of the backline underperforming, where the where the pack is probably uh, you know still quite quite uh, formidable from a South African perspective. But I think there you know you you touch on whether the coaching is lacking, and I think that you know there there definitely is a problem in terms of our skills level. And that's where something's gone awry in terms of whether we need to look at bringing in a new perspective, a New Zealander, uh, in terms of just being able to teach those skills that maybe aren't inherent to our game, because it's not what we get brought up with when we're playing schoolboy rugby. It's not about playing a natural running uh, game, uh, using the offload, uh, attacking space. Uh, a lot of our 
schoolboy and junior coaching is still based around just being big and running over guys. Somewhere along the along the line, there has to be real skills coaching to improve our ability to do the things that will enable us to, you know, enable us to be competitive against the better coached teams like Ireland and the All Blacks, Scotland, certainly England. You know, mm. that's you know that's that's a, a real fact, and we we don't have a coaching team right now that I think is a, is really enabling the players to to play to their potential, and that's a that's a big problem. Yeah. Do- so, from what you're saying, then, do you not think there's a South African coach either in South Africa or overseas that could cure the all, the the All Blacks, the Springboks woes at the moment? Yeah, JP, I think you've got to, you know, right now, if, if we look at all our uh, franchise coaches, I don't think any are really ready to take the next step up. Mm. Um, a lot of them are, are still, you know, finding their feet at a senior level, at Super Rugby level. Uh, and probably the the prime candidate would have been Johan Ackerman. I thought, you know, I thought when the Springboks lost to Italy for the first time ever last year, um, and the Lions were performing and performing. I mean, Johan Ackerman's been our uh, our coach of the year. I think it's two, maybe even three years running. Mm. You know, for a guy like that not to be getting a look in uh, in terms of the national setup, uh, you know, I think that's a that's a massive oversight. He might not be the complete product as a coach, but to think what he's achieved with the Lions in terms of how they've come from Super Rugby relegation to featuring in a final two years in a row. And we, we don't think that that coach should be involved with the Springboks. I don't understand <laughs> that thinking whatsoever. I mean, he, he could be the forwards coach, if not the head coach. But yeah. instead, he's now done what a lot of players do, and he's gone and looked at another option overseas. And he might become a better coach over there. But why are we not using him now when we could be? Yeah. So where do we go if we fire Asa Kutsia? Well, maybe we, we have to look at someone like John Mitchell because he's our... You know, he's one guy who would bring something different. He understands the South African landscape because he's coached in South Africa for a long time. And uh, a former All Blacks coach, uh, he, he would certainly have you know, the ability to upskill uh, and to alter our way of thinking when it comes to, um, you know, our, our really quite predictable patterns of play mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, so maybe he's someone to look at. But right now there's no one at a provincial level that is going to be a messiah if, if Alistair um, is fired at the end of this year. And uh, that's a big big concern. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Just out of interest, um, when you're talking to players and people around the game, uh, what feedback do you get regarding Johan Ackerman? Because it's, I mean, I've spoke to players over here and the feedback that I get about Johan Ackerman, uh, it's, it's the most glowing praise I've ever heard for anyone it, but literally anyone in um, uh, uh, in the game, and it's not necessarily about his rugby either. It's about the the guy as mm. an individual. Yeah, I think yeah, JB. When you you know as well, you know from having dealt with him and many of the Lions players uh, who've played under him, I think just as a man manager, you know, I don't think there's there, there are many better coaches. You know, I think he commands respect just in the way he deals with people uh, and the culture that he will very quickly bring it into a team. You know, at the Lions, when they were relegated from Super Rugby, he brought a, a group together, many of whom were uh, what you, you could probably call rugby journeymen, who had failed at other franchises. He went around, he spotted and identified talent, and he brought the Lions set up who he believed could enforce a vision of more attacking and attractive rugby. And he backed his players over two, three years and stuck with them instilled a tight-knit, incredible brotherhood at the Lions, and the results 
you know, we've seen over the last year or two. You know, that's what he does. He creates a family environment, uh, a team culture. He has an open-door policy. He treats his players with respect. Uh, you know, he backs, you know, he backs them you know, unconditionally, but he also demands uh, the sort of performances that uh, are, are deserving of, of that loyalty. Um, and I just think in terms of the way he manages his squad and his team is what garners a lot of respect. And I think that's why if he walked into that Springbok setup as a coach, it's what would bring out the best in the players as well. To have a former Springbok who's, who's been there and done it uh, and a very strong character, um, but also one who's just got a, you know, I just think a, a very uh, unique way about him to almost immediately um, earn people's respect uh, through just the way he conducts himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, fr- from what I've heard from from the players down in Gloucester, you're exactly right. Uh, the, the other candidate, which I guess is on the radar, particularly for Premiership uh, watchers, would be uh, Brendan Venter. Why, why do you think he doesn't have a greater role? I know he's been bought into, was it do exits and defence or, so, or, so, or some such thing? Yeah, JB, I mean, he's actually been quite involved. You know, I think, you know, I think he has a close relationship with Alistair and he was one of the guys that was identified as someone who could come in uh, and, and perhaps shake things up. And I think he has had a, an influence. You know, they've, there have been signs of, of Brendan's uh, influence. The defence at times you know, has looked a lot better than, than it did last year. Um, but I just don't know. You know. I think his role has definitely been more uh, than just exits and, and defences, as it might have been you know, officially stated. You know, he's been very heavily involved. He's, from the training sessions I've seen with him, you know, he, gets, he gets absolutely stuck in. Mm. But in, a, in another sense, he's there as a consultant. Um, you know, he's not a... De- uh, designated member of the coaching team, and he said he has no long-term commitment. Uh, he will be, uh, you know, he would like to contribute where he can as long as he's needed. But he has a medical practice. His priorities, to a large degree, are there, uh, and he he's a kind of guy who, to an extent, will come and go. And we've seen him in the middle of this tour because he's also got a contract with Italy, having to leave the camp midway through a tour. And I'm not quite sure what other national team. Uh, would have one of their crucial coaching components suddenly up and leave with no planned replacement. Well. Beyond that, Johan van Kran left to Munster. So they suddenly had two of their most highly respected coaches leaving in the middle of a tour with games uh, against Italy and Wales still to come. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just quite a bizarre scenario. Yet that's, the, you know, that's where South Africa has kind of got to of going, you know, we can, we can make do with it. Um, and I... Yeah, I don't. I don't think many other rugby nations looking in would go. You know that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I, I completely understand stand where you're coming from. So, in your point, uh, from your point of view, then, who are, who are the players that South African the South African rugby union simply could not afford to let go? In terms of our, you know, our our current Springbok team. Yes. Well, I think your. You know, I think fortunately, uh, you know, Stephen Kitchoff, but he's come back from overseas. They've managed to secure him. But I think he's an incredible young prop. Uh, alongside him, Wilco Lowe, whatever possibly can be done to contract him and tie him down. Uh, you know, another really powerful prop. Malcolm Marks is, you know, could be one of the, the best uh, hookers in world rugby. I can't speak to anyone who doesn't uh, rate him as the complete package. Uh, you know, then if I think of uh, maybe our... Uh, you know, loose forwards, uh, certainly Yako Kriosi, Akalisi, we've got to retain those guys. 
Uh, you know, I think Etebeth is not going to go anywhere, but you know, he's you know one of our few and only really uh, standout number four locks. Mm. And then I looked, you know, I looked to our to our backs, and sure, you know, it's the options are quite limited. But you've got a Kerwin Bosch, you know, super talented player who's been in the box squad. He hasn't got his, you know, hasn't got many opportunities. But he's someone that South African rugby can't afford to to let slip through their fingers. Um, probably our, you know, one of our most talented players. Um, you know, and I would say Ryan Janssen van Rensburg as well. And I hope he doesn't, <laughs> I hope he doesn't end up going on what should be a short-term deal uh, with the with uh, sale and and end up staying longer. But you know, that's kind of the reality of how things can go sometimes. Yeah. Well, I I, I think I've got some bad news for you on that one, but I'll I'll tell you after mm. the podcast. <laughs> Uh, well, Craig, you've been absolutely brilliant. And can I just give you a bit of personal advice? Sure. You should do a podcast, mate, because you've been absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, yeah, it's been actually fantastic talking. I, you know, there's so much to, that yeah, that we can talk about as a, I think, just rugby-loving people. And certainly uh, in South African rugby, it's, it's never a dull day, I can tell you that much. Yeah, absolutely. Where can we find you on social media, Craig? Where can we find your work? Yeah, social media uh, on Twitter at Craig O'Lewis. Uh, you, you can uh, certainly find me there. Uh, otherwise, just yeah, keep an eye on srugbymag.co.za. Um, that's you know obviously a, a website that uh, you know we we're constantly turning over with with the latest news and uh, you know all my my columns and 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 the articles, features all all go up there. So yeah, if anything you know if there's anything that uh, you know interests people with regards to SA rugby, that's a, a good spot to go. Fantastic. Well. Thanks a lot. You've been great. And we're going to have to do this again sometime. Definitely. Yeah, it would be my pleasure. Cheers.